welcome to the Clemson Drone Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Burgett from Clemson University. Join me as I dive into the world of drone technology and explore its impact to the eyes of industry leaders. Hear how drone technology directly supports public agencies, private companies, and entrepreneurs from those leading the innovation. If you're a seasoned UAS program manager or just getting into the game, this is a place to learn from the best to help your program soar to new heights. Make sure you subscribe now on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss a single episode of the Clemson Drone Podcast. At Clemson Drone, the sky is not the limit, it's just the beginning. Hello, everyone. This is Joe Berg with Clemson University, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to another episode of the Clemson Drone Podcast. As a professor, I get to have a lot of conversations with drone users and hear the innovative ways they are using drones to do their jobs better, faster, safer, and at lower cost. In that vein, I'm very excited to have Daryl Jones with the South Carolina Forestry Commission on the phone. He is a forest protection chief and is involved with wildfire suppression, fire prevention, emergency response, law enforcement, and forest health, among other things. He holds a degree in forest resource management from Clemson University and is the current president of Skyduck, which we're going to talk a bit more about later in the show. Daryl, thanks for being here. Hey, Joe, I appreciate it. I'm glad to help you uh, get this started and excited to talk with you. All right. Very good. Now, I gave a little bit of an overview already about what you do and who you work for, but you kind of want to give us a little bit more on that. What is it that you do? What are your core responsibilities and, and what is your day to day? So, you know, I, I work for the Forestry Commission in South Carolina and a lot of people don't know that agency. We we don't jump out in the public eye to, to a lot of the population, but we're responsible for managing wildfire suppression and helping landowners that own forest land do good forest management and manage the land, right? So I don't think a lot of people understand or really realize this, but most of South Carolina is rural, forested, agriculture land. And so our charge is to do wildfire suppression and forest protection on about 13 million acres of South Carolina. Most of that land is owned by you and me, right? People that own land, farmers, inherited it, bought land, whatever. And then you have the cities and the populations and fire departments are responsible for fire suppression there and they they fight structure fires. We don't really do that. We fight wildfires. It's a different type of fire. We use different tools. So our responsibility and what we get into is a little different than the red fire truck. So that being said, if we aren't fighting fires, we do prescribed burning to keep fuels low and reduce threats to communities, provide wildlife habitat, and we help people who own the land manage and do good forest management, which is what my degree was in from Clemson, right? So really a lot of different stuff involved in that, but the primary role for me is being our HC's fire chief and overseeing our fire, emergency response, law enforcement for fire-related crimes, arson, timber theft, those kind of things, and emergency response to hurricanes, tornadoes, big wildfires, whatever else there is. And, you know, as we're going to talk about drones have become an essential part of that, and it's helping us with our mission. So it's a day-to-day, it's very different. All kind of stuff happens, and I never really know some days what's happening, but generally that's what we do. We put out wildfires, protect homes, protect people, and we just bring a different set of tools to the table to do that. Yeah, you and you've been with the Forestry Commission for a long time, right? I have. I started full time in 1992 with the agency, and I was here a few years before that as a part time employee. So a long, long uh, association with me for the agency. I grew up in this agency. Gotcha. So with, with that being kind of the lead in, so you were 
you were with the agency long before drones were on the scene. So you want to talk through a little bit about how you started using drones? How did that get introduced? And, and how did your program first kind of come out of the ground? Well, it, you know, when I went to Clemson, we were learning land measurement with a, a staff compass, a compass on a dowel, basically. And we would plant that in the ground and measure a, an angle and we would pace with the steel tape and measure the acres the old school way. And in my career, in my time here, it really changed. The, the drones became apparent when they really started becoming publicly available that a lot of what we do may be made more efficient by using this technology. So as an agency, we first got a drone in 2015. And that was very early on, very experimental. And initially, we didn't use it a lot because we didn't really know what to do. And there wasn't a lot of these software platforms that help get acres or do maps and stuff. It was before part 107 too. Yeah, and part 107 wasn't around. So initially, we were under a COA with the FAA. And that is a good tool and it was what was around before part 107 but it is a little more cumbersome i think to run and when part 107 became available we really jumped onto this but kind of backing up 2016 we had a, a significant wildfire up there in the mountains table rock state park in pixas county we called it the pinnacle mountain fire it burned over 10,000 acres in november of that year into december and the reason I bring that up is during that fire, Amazon, you know, they have two distribution centers in the state and they contacted us and said, hey, we want to help with the fire. What do you need? You know, it, I didn't know what to ask for, but we did say, hey, how about a drone? That would be kind of cool, you know. And so Amazon sent us a DJI Phantom 4 in the truckload of stuff they donated to us. And that kind of moved us to a different air. The drones were better quality, maybe more reliable and a little more professional. You know, if you can look at it that way. And after that, you know, that was 2016. And then we were under the COA at that point, had some training from a vendor outside at one point. And at most of our use at that time was our, our taking pictures, our graphics and information education side. And I was kind of on the edges looking at how we can do acres for measuring a wildfire with a drone instead of walking around it and measuring it with the GPS, you know, just efficiencies. When Park 107 was introduced we dropped the COA basically and went to the park 107 and started doing a lot more because software platforms ArcGIS and esri and drone deploy and all these other bentley and you know uh pix4d all these other platforms emerged that made it easier for us so long story short we started seeing that as a way to make us more efficient we had less people than we used to have or an easier way to do services to our landowners and solve our our business problems and drones were a key part of that. So long story to tell it, you know, we, we started in 15, we got a, a Phantom 4 in 16, we had a COA and now we're flying under 107. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, now that your, your program has matured a little bit, what does it look like now? How many pilots do you have? Where are they located? Are they full-time, part-time? You know, what does your program look like now? So, None of our drone pilots are full-time UAS pilots. They're all other functions day-to-day. -day. We have almost 20 pilots right now. That kind of fluctuates as people move around, but some of them are foresters. Like I started out as a county forester on a state forest. Some of them are our fire management officers. There are law enforcement officers, our frontline supervisors that supervise the, the bulldozers that are our primary fighting tool. Some of them are... Uh, state forest directors and managers that manage our state properties some of them are in our 
communication side, we use some of our drones to do inspections of our communication towers for our networks. So, you know, all different levels up to our chief pilot, who's a fixed wing pilot that manages our, our aviation program and myself as the fire chief, you know, we're using a lot of different levels for many, many different things. And I think every day we think of a new way to use these or something we can do better or faster or that we weren't able to do before because we have those capabilities. Yeah. So, I mean, you kind of talk through some of the stuff that you, that you're using them for and the control burn and that, that one always, when I, you know, when I talk with that one, that one, you kind of can easy to, to gloss over without really realizing what it is. So can you describe like what the rig is when you do those control burns and, and burning out fuel ahead of forest fires? Like, what does that look like? Sure. So, and I think people have all heard fight fire with fire, right? We actually do that all the time. We, we, when we have a wildfire, coming toward homes we one way to slow down that fire is to remove the fuel and we burn out those fuels between where the flame in front is and where the houses are sometimes it's not safe to put a bulldozer or a fire truck in there to stop the fire so the other method is burning it and if you burn it when you set the fire you starve the wildfire fuel and that's really what we're doing the, the parallel to that is a prescribed burn where there's a lot of fuel 25 or 30 years worth of leaves on the ground that if it burns it burns really hot and fast and puts more people in danger it's harder for us to stop so we often prescribe burn we go out there on the on a good day when we can control the fire and keep it in the lines burn it cool enough where you don't kill all the trees and and one way to do that now is using a drone so the rig that was developed was a, a company called ignis they're out of nebraska they developed with the University of Nebraska this system that hangs beneath a drone. It's made of carbon fiber, very lightweight, some aluminum pieces, and a couple of uh, motors that attach to a drone. The, the one we're using now is the uh, DJI M600 Pro. We are transitioned to one called the FreeFly Alta X, which is a US made large frame drone, but it's four feet across. The M600 is four feet across, has six motors, six 20 inch propellers on each side, a heavy rig designed initially for carrying cameras for movies and center, center pivot where everything hangs beneath it. This Ignis system attaches to it. It has a camera attachment on the on the front end, um, we have a FLIR X-T2 camera that's a really high-quality FLIR camera. Um, has 12 different color palettes that you can choose from to show what you need to see. It has GPS units built into it, and it uses these little balls. They're smaller than a ping-pong ball, but the same kind of shape and size. They have potassium permanganate powder, and the powder by itself is not reactive. It's pretty inert. As it goes through this machine, the Ignis machine, the ball drops down a down a chute and it gets injected with antifreeze, ethylene glycol. And when the needle pulls out of the ball, the ball falls off the, the Ignis machine and goes down to the earth. And maybe 40, 30 to 40 seconds after that injection, those two chemicals, the potassium manganate and the ethylene glycol, they start to mix together, it creates heat, generates heat, it's a thermal reaction. And where the needle has come out of the ball, you start to see smoke and then orange glow and a flame and that that ignites a point on the ground. So if you're using this operationally, you've got a big rig, you know, it weighs over 40 pounds, maybe 45 pounds when it's full. And you can program it to drop those little balls every 100 feet or 200 feet and set up a geofence so the you you don't ignite outside the lines, right? We know where the 
the area we're trying to burn is. You can pull up a map on the on the the app that comes with that machine and build a box. Say this is where we want fire to happen. No fire outside the box. And it's GPS controlled. It takes a, a location for every ball that's dropped. So you know if they're in the lines or out. Um, the variables that come into play are altitude. If you're dropping from 300 feet up and you drop a little ping pong ball that blows in the wind, right? So, you know, there's, there's some controls you have to have. And obviously people on the ground that are verifying what you as the pilot or the visual observers are seeing. But the advantage is instead of putting a firefighter like myself on the ground, walking with a torch to manually ignite that fuel to either do a prescribed burn or, or burn out to stop a wildfire, we have a machine that can do it and not get impacted by the smoke and not get in a bad situation where you're on foot and you can't get out. So the primary selling point, I guess, to me is that risk management. I'm not putting a firefighter in danger. I'm using a machine to do that. And if the machine goes down, that's difficult and it's not fun and there's stuff that happens, but there's nobody in danger, right? So surely from a risk management standpoint, it is a huge efficiency for me. And then you add the capabilities of that infrared camera that's flying over the fire, really high visibility, you know, easy to see machine. You've got high resolution thermal and a very good camera that helps you track the track the progress and where the fire is and finding those perimeters of the fire. So it's all kind of cool things you can do with it. It's not easy to fly. It takes a lot of training. It's right. a pretty complex machine, but it does uh pay off in the long run for us by reducing the risk. Yeah. And I would imagine I mean, getting that, that thermal camera. I mean, it goes through smoke pretty well and a lot better than, it vision, does. you know, a lot better than RGB. So uh, obviously some advantages there too. Well, so some of the times when I talk with you in the past, you know, you hop on a zoom call for something like that with me and you're in some remote location because there's some large event uh, in another state and, you know, the states coordinate and, and quarterback. So how does that work? Let's just, if there's a big, you know, fire, and I'll just pick a state randomly, Florida. I'm from Florida, so the big, the big fire in Florida, they need support. How does that, how does that work? And who bring? I mean, presumably they're using drones too. But how does that, you know, who brings the drones? Who commands that? Who takes over uh, that aspect of the mission? So, all of the states in different ways have agreements. So we we have an agreement in South Carolina with the 12 states around us, and. It, it blows my mind to think that in the late 50s, 13 states passed the same law in the same session, if you can imagine that today. Um, but but they passed the law realizing that there was a lot of times when fires are really bad in Florida and they're not bad in South Carolina. And we have trained people that train to the same standard and we can go help. So it's, there are mechanisms for us to share resources. And we do that regularly. We send people to Texas and Oklahoma and California and wherever with bulldozers and trucks and whatever other skills. When we got the U.S. technology or the capability to do these burning operations, we added that to the suite of products we make available you know, to other states. When they need a U.S. to do ignition like we have, they send in a request and there's a whole system to do that. They say, hey, Daryl, Florida really needs you know, some U.S. pilots with a drone that can do aerial ignition to help with wildfire. They can provide the aircraft themselves, or they can order us to bring ours with them. Mm-hmm. You know, we can bring all the stuff and say, "Hey, we're bringing the drone and the the ignition rig, and you're providing the the plastic spheres, little balls with potassium permanganate." So we don't have to transport those because that can be a little tricky. Mm-hmm. So, 
you know, they ask for it if they need the whole rig. And typically I would rather fly mine that I've maintained and sure. I know of. So, so I, I try to travel with ours when I do. And then I use what they have on hand as a spare and extra. Right. When if something goes down or there's a software issue or something. So, um, it's really seamless because we've always since the fifties shared bulldozers and people in airplanes for other things. So that's just another component that we added. But now that other States have gotten into it, South Carolina was the first state on the East coast to get this kind of rig. And now Florida and Mississippi and Alabama and a couple other States have those. So it's getting more common to share those now because we train again to the same standard. So I know if I order a, a pilot to do that for Florida, they are trained the same way my folks are. Well, let me dive into that a little bit. When you say that they're trained to the same standard, what, what standard is that? Like, how does that, you know, there's not tons that are out there. So what, what does that mean? And, and how do you kind of compare apples and apples? Well, we're all flying the same uh, ignition rig because there's only one platform for right. it at the moment. So that helps. The, uh, National Wildfire Coordinating Group, which is the, sort of the overarching group for wildfire in the country, it includes the U.S. Fire Administration, the U.S. Forest Service, and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, the National Park Service, the Bureau of Land Management, and all the states that have some responsibility for wildfire. And the function of NWCD, the National Wildfire Coordinating Group, is to come up with common standards that we train to. So all of the agencies have agreed and maybe not all at the same time, but now we're all there. We say, hey, we're, we're all following the same standard for training. So for me to be a NWCG qualified pilot, I have to take certain courses and I have to do proficiencies. And our, our whole system is based on classroom training where you take the training and somebody explains the rules and you take a test and you pass it. And then you go out and perform the function. Right. As a trainee pilot under somebody who's already exp experienced and qualified and they watch Daryl do the stuff. So, yep, Daryl's proficient at this. And the actual task book, we call it the documents, all that is 40 pages long. So to be qualified, you may have to go out five or six times with a trainee or a trainer or pilot as a trainee before they're sure that you're good enough. And basically as a, as a trainer, I'm watching Joe do this and saying, yeah, he needs more work on that because he didn't really get it or he didn't go through his checklist or he didn't load it the right way or he didn't know what to do in the event of a flyaway. So we, we basically check each other and document it. And once I have a, a trainer that says Daryl's proficient, he's done all this, I recommend he's fully qualified, then I can become a certified pilot under that system. So it's elaborate, but we do it that way because we're we're performing often under high pressure situations right, where sure. houses and you know bad things are happening. So we need to be really good and the the old saying you when something bad happens you don't rise to the case and you sink to the level of your training right that's really right, right. that's really what we're trying to enforce is that hey you know we've practiced this enough to where it's it's not a question what happens when something goes wrong we know what to do and that's the value of it because i know if i get a pilot from arkansas they've done the same thing that my folks have done and i should be able to plug them in anywhere into my organization and and have them work and and you did ask who supervises these people when they go? Generally, when we're asked, there are incident management teams. They're a team of folks. They're up to maybe 70 people. There's an incident commander who's the boss, right? They're, they've been, Florida says, hey, Daryl, you're the incident commander of this 10,000-acre fire. You're empowered to, to fight it and stop it however you can. You can spend a million dollars a day or whatever the number is. And that team, we respond to hurricanes and tornadoes and floods and 
the space shuttle when it went down we were part of that and the world trade center response is run by a forestry team so we're we're good at managing large events because we practiced on these wildfires and it doesn't matter if we're putting down a wildfire or you know responding to a flood it takes a bunch of responders somebody's got to organize it so you would work for that team and the air operations branch is where the drones would fall into that gotcha super cool well one of the things that uh, i had mentioned at the top of the call was your involvement with skyduck and uh, skyduck for those who aren't familiar with it is the south carolina interagency drone user consortium and this is a group that i'm involved with uh, with also but uh, do you mind kind of uh, speaking to, again, our, our audience is going to be folks from South Carolina and, as well as just nationwide. Can you speak to what Skyduck is and, and you know, who they're serving and what their mission is in South Carolina? Sure. And, and Joe, you were intimately involved in this and I came in right on the front end too. But this technology is rapidly changing and all agencies are trying to realize some efficiencies to get into it. And I think the genesis of Skydeck really was that everybody's using it, but we don't really know what each other are doing. We uh, maybe are all doing it slightly different, and it would be really good from a state standpoint if we had some commonality and a way to share information. So the, the group is made up of agencies, local agencies, state agencies, some federal folks even that, that are using drones in their work as an government entity, right? So we're focused on that side of the business, but it ranges from law enforcement and firefighting, which, you know, universities like Joe, but also public works and solid waste management and codes enforcement and mapping and DOT is a big player, right? They do a lot of inspections on bridges and monitoring work sites and all of these different aspects that come into play. So the range of things, I don't think we really understand how much that range is really, but a lot of our users are using it for different ways. You know, corrections is using it for different things than DNR is doing. They may be doing marsh surveys, you know, corrections may be monitoring fence lines, see if they have an escape or, you know, their fence are in good shape. We, we may be doing a map for somebody, but ETVs, map, you know, using it to check their towers to make sure the cables are in good shape or that, that, the antennas are attached the right way. So a broad scope. And our, our goal really is to get some commonality, share experiences, and maybe things are working well or explain or demonstrate technology that we're using here that may benefit some other agency. It may be a slightly different way and provide some examples of, say, SOPs for drone use that maybe. A new agency with one person doing flying drones, they don't have an SOP, but as they build that program, they really need some some kind of guidance to help them. Instead of reinventing the wheel, we can share what's worked for other agencies. So transfer of knowledge and, and you know, sharing experiences and asking questions is a big part of what we do. And to that end, I guess you'll probably lead to this, but we are planning a symposium, you know, and that, that will be the first gathering we tried with everybody invited. We've had quarterly meetings and demos and, you know, all kind of different podcasts and skycast, all these things. But we really feel some value in getting everybody in the same room, having some experts from industry and FAA speak and have a chance for our folks that are in Skyduck to talk to each other and have those sideboard conversations that really are valuable. Yeah. 
Well, and again, I, I'll, again, as you, as you mentioned, I was involved uh, early on as well. And just uh, from a logistics point of view, from, from folks that are, might be outside of South Carolina, what, what Skyduck logistically is, it's a 501c3 nonprofit. Um, and the, the and, and as Daryl said, the genesis was just, we have all these states using drones and not, you know, communicating well or no, no real mechanisms to interact. And I don't think that's unique to South Carolina. So what a group of us did, and it, it helped that I'm with the university and, and some of the restrictions that other states have about communicating and things they can buy and things like that. We, we don't have that just because of the nature of universities being research centric and, uh, and, and a lot of those restrictions aren't there is we just kind of got together. Uh, we actually got some seed money from the university just to kind of put things together and we formed a group and this is a, uh, this is a nonprofit organization. Um, it's not a charity, but it's a, a, a entity that has the ability to do things that, you know, government agencies might have some restrictions in place and just things that slow things down. But this is a, a group that, um, you know, you can be a board member of and a member it can have a little more autonomy. And, um, you know, um, the, the symposium that you mentioned, Daryl, you know, that, that was something that got brought up early, early on. And then COVID happened. I mean, starting a, a yep. nonprofit, yep. Bad uh, time. <laughs> terrible time, couldn't, couldn't have uh, planned it worse. But again, that kind of speaks to the need for it is that it survived COVID and is continuing to thrive and super pumped that in May we've got, you know, as you said, the FAA coming, we've got a, a guest speaker from the AUVSI going to speak about cybersecurity and, uh, blue blue drones, green drones, you know, um, Chinese international drones, those, those type of things, bunch of uh, speakers. So really, really excited about that. So thank you for kind of. Well, I think going forward, the role of SCADEC may change, but as uh, the technology gets more pervasive and, you know, we're, we're, we're shining a light on it, right? Hey, all these agencies are using drones and there will be times when lawmakers or some laws are proposed and maybe this group you know, one of the functions we were aiming for sort of broad was that we would represent the state and agency drone users as those kind of laws come out so we can make sure that we're able to use them and, and we have to be responsible. And there's, you know, as an agency, they're maybe different than flying a drone in your backyard, but we can abdicate for responsible drone use and legitimate drone use. And as outside pressures come in, you know, to, to regulate or do different things. We have a collective voice for the agencies that are using drones. That's a big piece of, you know, five years from now, I think we'll probably have a lot of that. It's, it hasn't really happened in South Carolina, but we've seen other states where it's become an issue and we want to position ourselves to be ahead of that and ready for it when it does come. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that uh, we are we are at the end of the show here. So let me uh, uh, start by just saying, Daryl, thanks so much for coming on and sharing uh, your expertise. Again, you've been you've been doing this long before it was cool. Uh, so I appreciate you kind of sharing uh, your insights and your history of it. And uh, I also want to thank all you guys for listening. Uh, if you've made it this far, then hopefully you found this engaging. So I'd encourage you to go ahead and like and subscribe to the to the pod again first in these early days that kind of helped with the the algorithm the apples and the googles and all that to kind of bring us to the top so if you could do that but again daryl thanks so much for being on the call and uh look forward to having you on a, on a future show yeah thanks a lot joe i appreciate this and i think uh getting people to understand how we're doing this and what all is going on is a key part and i appreciate it and happy to be here with you all right very good thanks daryl thanks for listening to the clemson drone podcast don't forget to follow us on your favorite podcast platform Learn more about our online training offerings by going to ClemsonDrone.com. 
Thanks again. And remember, a Clemson drone, the sky is not the limit, it's just the beginning.